This is the Tribune Audio Network. It's funny, you go by a place like this and most people have no idea. Uh huh. Where do you go to find someone who no one has seen nor heard from for more than half a century? Fox 8 News, this is Derek. A woman named Nancy came to us. But the more she started telling me about it, the more I was intrigued. No answers, no idea what had happened. Nobody knows anything. Nancy was looking for her friend, the one whose daughter played with her daughter. They lived right next door. Until that day in 1963, when Helen Dalton simply disappeared. She had no reason to leave two children at home. But what's really crazy is the reason she left, or at least the reason her husband says she left. This was, uh, this was a shock to everybody, I think, that knew her, that we interviewed. Did she really leave? Did something much more sinister happen to Helen Dalton? That's what we're going to find out. From the Tribune Audio Network, I'm Fox 8's Bob Buckley, and this is The Day Helen Disappeared. April of 1963 was an innocent time. John F. Kennedy was still our president. Few Americans knew where Vietnam was, and it was a dry and warm morning on April 3rd when Helen Dalton took her 14-year-old daughter, Bonnie, to school. Bonnie was a freshman at Grimsley, Greensboro's oldest high school. Her older brother, Don Jr., was just that, a junior at Grimsley. This was the traditional school where much of the town's gentry, at least those on the western side of town, sent their children. This wasn't where the crazy stuff happens. And indeed, there was little to indicate that this Wednesday would be anything out of the ordinary for Helen. She took her daughter to um, Grimsley High School that morning, and when the daughter got out of the car, the mother said, now don't forget, Uh, you have a dental appointment today and I'll be back to pick you up. That's Jim Seifries. He's a retired captain from the Greensboro Police Department. He ran the criminal investigative division for a number of years. He's tall and athletic. I've worked with him on a lot of cases over the years. He was always someone who you could count on to tell you exactly what was going on. But with Helen's case, nobody seemed to know. That's hard to say. What Nancy did know is she wanted answers, and she needed them soon. Nancy is the woman who lived next door to Helen in 1963. Nancy's daughter and Bonnie played together often, spent time at each other's houses. But now that she's closing in on 90 years old herself, Nancy knew she didn't have time to wait around for answers. So she called the Fox 8 newsroom and Derek Stetzler answered. I mean, it was 7 o'clock at night, call comes in, it's an older woman, and she starts talking and wants to know if anybody has done any kind of digging into what happened to her friend who disappeared decades ago. Derek is the executive producer at Fox 8. Sitting up at the main desk that overlooks the newsroom, this is where calls come to. Derek feels a lot of these. But this one, this one seemed different. How quickly were you intrigued when you were talking to Nancy on the phone? Well, I mean, just this generation, as soon as somebody tells you about a criminal case from years and years ago, the first thing you do is go to Google. So I went in and I was like, okay, 
So this, this lady actually did disappear. Might be a criminal element to it. The journalist in Derek not only loves a good story, he loves a good mystery. I just feel like how could nobody have figured anything out by now? You know, it's a relatively small area, 40, 50 years, like all this time goes by and nobody has any kind of answers and it made me want to dig into it, it made me want to investigate it. Did you think though this happened decades before you were even born? How is it solvable if it's that old? I don't know, just the past few years, especially you know, working in the news, you see new DNA evidence, new evidence uncovering links to crimes and connecting crimes from 20, 30 years ago. Why not here? It was something that we at least needed to start looking into. And that meant paying a visit to Nancy. Derek and I set up a time to go see Nancy. She lives in the same house she moved to around the time that Helen disappeared. It's tucked into a community that you pass by without noticing. And other than the new flat screen TV in the living room, nothing in the house appears to have changed much since she moved in. What has changed is what's been built up around her. Nancy's house is now hidden back behind some others with only an unmarked mailbox to tell you where the driveway is to lead you there. Just getting there to talk to Nancy took some effort. First of all, we couldn't find the place. No, off the beaten path for sure. And then we find it and within 20, 30 seconds. She's right there at the door. But she says what to us? She said, no cameras, no nothing, <laughs> no audio, nobody's recording anything. She's deathly afraid that whoever did something to Helen is gonna come get her. And it's not even just that, because we tried to explain to her, whoever did this to Helen is probably long gone by now, but she said, well, maybe you know family members know and they wanna protect a big dark family secret that they'd be willing to kill to protect it. But I sensed as you and I sat in her living room, she genuinely, all these years later, wants to know what happened to her friend. Yeah, I mean, she's in her late 80s. She's still remarkably sharp, and she remembers the last time she saw her. The last time she saw Helen Dalton. More on that in a minute. But first, I need to say that when you meet Nancy, she strikes you as the quintessential grandmother. She has a shock of white hair, well-styled, and an earnestness that comes from knowing that her clock is running. She tells us stories about how close they all were, how Helen's daughter, Bonnie, often came over to the house that we're sitting in. That's when the stories begin to roll out of her. And how vivid it was. Yeah, because that, that was the one thing. Every time that we had talked to her on the phone before, she was kind of repeating the same story, repeating the same story. But then when we get there, she drops this on us. Oh, right before her disappearance, I saw her and her daughter at the shopping center. Nancy had gone to Belk's. Anyone who grew up in North Carolina knows Belk. William Belk opened his first store in the small town of Monroe, outside of Charlotte, in 1888. By the end of World War II, its signature tall arches over the doors were as recognizable a part of the North Carolina landscape as the tobacco fields. Nancy was in the Belk store in Greensboro, looking for some red shoes to wear at Easter that year. And when she got to the shoe department... She saw Helen and Bonnie. Yeah for the last time. And do you remember what she said to us about that, though? She wished that she had said something. She wished that she had said something to her friend. And for 56 years, she's regretted that. Some of the old case files, some of the notes and stuff. From... We don't know how many detectives have been assigned to Helen's case over the years, probably dozens, but Caroline Holliday is the latest one. How unusual 
is this case from your experience? This, it's definitely the oldest, 1963. Mm -hmm. We maybe have a total of, I'd guess, anywhere from like 10 to 12 cold case missing persons um, that likely all were foul play. Holiday is a local kid, grew up here in town, married into one of the more prominent families. But this case is nearly two decades older than she is. Hold on, there's Mr. Dalton. When Derek and I go to see her, she lays out the case file on a table at the police department. It's one of those old accordion binders, and in what looks like the penmanship of your parents or grandparents, there on the spine are simply the words, missing person. It was like something out of a movie. You see old movies, and they dig up old files, and it's connected with twine. It's an old brown cardboard envelopes. It, it was exactly like that. So what do we know out of what's in here? So we know that um, Miss Dalton's sister uh, became suspicious back in 1963. She wasn't hearing from her sister in the normal way, phone calls. She was receiving letters that were signed by typewriter, not by handwritten signature. Um, she came down to Greensboro to inquire, uh, didn't really get any straight answers from Mr. Dalton and so she contacted the police. Helen's sister contacts the police department in August. That's four months after Helen disappeared. But then she had no reason to think there was anything wrong. She was getting those letters from Helen, even if they were typewritten. One of them, dated April 16th, the Tuesday after Easter that year, starts out mundane enough. Sorry to be so long answering your letter. Easter, spring cleaning, etc. Helen buries the lead about halfway down. Well, don't faint when you hear this, but we are moving to California. Don Jr. is thrilled. I may go soon, but the big move is about July 1st. That move, of course, never came. Helen was gone, had been gone for nearly two weeks before that letter was typed. In fact, do you remember what police captain Jim Seyfried said about the day that Helen disappeared? And when the daughter got out of the car, the mother said, now don't forget, uh, you have a dental appointment today and I'll be back to pick you up. But of course, she wasn't. Helen didn't come back to get Bonnie. That afternoon, uh, the daughter was waiting and the son, who also attended Grimsley, he came to pick her up instead of the mother. And uh, so the daughter said, you know, where's mom? And, and uh, he said, Dad said that she's gone to a, uh, a Christian women's conference in Winston-Salem. So I came to pick you up. Sounds reasonable, except that the police checked. There was no Christian women's conference in Winston-Salem that week or any time near April 3rd of 1963. But that's okay. Helen's husband, Don, had other stories ready to go. To me, the most interesting point is his story keeps changing. Yes, he didn't ever have the same story to the sister or to investigators. What does that tell you as an investigator? I, um, that's a red flag, and another red flag is the fact that um, by the time the sister came down here, um, August of 1963, uh, Mr. Dalton claims he hadn't seen her since maybe uh, March or April of that year, so several months previous, and he never reported her yeah, missing. there's no sense of urgency on his part to find where his wife is. Um, she supposedly took off with a large sum of money at that time that, again, just didn't seem to concern him that much. Mm -hmm. um, and just a number of other things that investigators were able to uncover, and any time they would ask him about that, he just didn't have a good answer. The next story Don told 
you can see it right there in the notes of the case file, says Helen left in the company of a Wanda Fleming and that Helen and Wanda are both homosexuals. There was another story later claiming her disappearance had something to do with illegal drugs of some sort that Helen had gotten involved with selling. None of the stories, though, seemed to add up. She had no reason to leave two children at home. She had a sister that she was in constant contact with, even though she was out of state. Um, there were just no indicators. She had no reason to go off and leave. But then, where was she? And they did at one point search the house, right? Uh, that's when they, they got the they did, dentures yes. and everything. Yeah, they saw that her, um, it seemed like her closet appeared full of clothes. I think a suitcase was in the um, closet, mm -hmm. a pair of glasses, and a, and a pair of dentures. But the investigation showed she only had one pair of glasses and one set of dentures. Helen was 52 at the time. Would she really leave those and her children behind? Everyone said she was a devoted mother, loved her children. Though, when they did talk to the kids... There were some indications, uh, I think, that from the son that, that mom and dad were not getting along. Captain Seyfries, and every police officer really, has seen this story before. If a husband and wife are uh, not getting along and one of them disappears, we're going to start with the other one. But what did they really have on Don? He let them search the house. Helen's sister was getting those letters from her, even if they were on a typewriter. So the case went cold. Unfortunately, when you can't find a body, when you can't find remains, it, it's just a hard case to prove. No arrests, no answers. Oh, there were articles in the paper in July of 1969. The headline reads, Missing person case revives. About the only news in it, though, is the fact that Bonnie, who was then 20, hired a private detective. The paper quotes a friend as saying, Bonnie really wants to find out whether her mother is dead or alive. The detective didn't find anything. No one did. And in the years that followed, that area on the western edge of Greensboro grew. Neighborhoods were built and businesses went up to serve them. It seems everywhere around 112 Muir's Chapel Road, there was something, except right there. That lot where the Daltons lived was untouched. And by the early 1990s, it seemed sure to be the next one to have a grocery store or maybe a blockbuster video on it. Maybe that is why the calls came in, two of them both anonymous. You might want to check out that well there on the Daltons' property, they said. I think you'll find Helen in there. It was 30 years after Helen disappeared. Could they finally have an answer? Do you remember getting that first phone call? Sure. So the head of the physical anthropology department at the time came into our lab and said, we've got a police call. Um, there may be human remains. The deep dig in the next episode of The Day Helen Disappeared. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you can get each new episode. And if you can, please give it a five-star rating and a comment. Those are the things that really get the word out. The Day Helen Disappeared is written and reported by me, your host, Fox 8's Bob Buckley, with help from Derek Stetzler. The podcast is produced and edited by Chris Weaver. 
Kevin Daniels is the executive producer. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.